Travels with Charlie is paid for by Jolly Convenience Stores, Mill Travel American Express, and Casella Waste. The views and opinions expressed in Travels with Charlie do not necessarily reflect the views or opinions of the Radio Vermont Group. We welcome listener feedback. Email your comments to wdev at radiovermont.com. Well, it's all about all the folks you meet. Sitting in a diner or out in the street. Catch up with the news. Get your point of view. I want to hear what unravels. I'll see you in my travel. And welcome to another edition of Travels with Charlie. Uh, amusing, my uh, my first uh, guest this afternoon is. Uh, you like that song? I take that's it. very cute. Yes. Well, uh, kudos <laughs> to Billy Bratcher uh, of the Starline Rhythm Boys. He wrote that and performed that for Travels with Charlie. And welcome to another edition, as I mentioned, of Travels with Charlie. Your host, Charlie Papillo. We have a great program lined up for you today, and I'll tell you about that in just a moment. But first, let me uh, thank our sponsors. That, uh, that's how we get this program on the air twice a month here at WDEV. So thanks to Casella Waste Systems, Casella.com. We're going to be talking with Jeff Weld from Casella today, all about recycling, jolly convenience stores, hot coffee. You know, this time of year, I mean, nine below when I got up this morning. You need a hot cup of coffee, you're on the road. Stop in at any of the jolly convenience stores in the area, over 40 of them in the area. And, of course, uh, you can fill up the car and fill up your belly. At a jolly convenience store. We'll also be talking today with Scott Milne from Milne Travel American Express. You know, they've been doing it since 1975. MilneTravel.com. A lot of people are having uh, concerns about, you know, my travel plans on hold. Uh, should we be traveling? We'll talk with Scott about that uh, coming up today as well. And... Rusty DeWeese is going to be joining us today. Now, Rusty, you all know Rusty as the logger. Uh, and I just found this out. I know Rusty was, uh, you know, he was an actor. He's been in many movies and been in many TV shows, but he was in the movie Black Dog with singer Meatloaf. And as you know, Meatloaf passed away this weekend at 74 years old. Uh, Rusty will be joining us and uh, he's got a lot of stories to tell us about his memories of working with the rock legend Meatloaf. So looking forward to that. My first guest today, one of them in studio with me, one on the phone line in studio from the group New Englanders Against Sexual Explo- Exploitation. That's why they call it NICE. Yes, NICE. Easier to say. Maggie Karen. Maggie is the Vermont chair. And Michael Shively, a member of the group. Michael is on phone line. Good afternoon, Michael. Hi, thanks for having us. Thank you for, for joining us. And Maggie, thank you for coming in studio today Absolutely. here on Travels with Charlie. So we've got a lot to talk about. We're going to keep you for the full uh, segment here. Uh, you know, recently, we've seen a push to legalize prostitution in Vermont, a charter change question on Burlington's town meeting day ballot. That's coming up. Legislature, as I mentioned, they're debating it right now. There's a video on your website which refers to it as the world's oldest Oppression. Many people were ready to say profession, but mm-hmm. oppression. Maggie, I'll let you go first. Explain that, if you would. Well, it's just really sad. Uh, what we're really talking about is the exploitation of men, women, and children. And I wouldn't call that a profession at all. I would call that very, very sad. Um, if you look at the New Englanders Against Sexual Exploitation website, you'll see Trisha Grant, who was actually trafficked in Vermont at the age of 15. She talks about the trauma, about never knowing, you know, where if she was even going to leave the state. She says that it was the worst trafficking she had as she was dragged throughout the New England regions and that... Um, when she was here or when she knew that she was going to be brought here, that she never knew if she was ever going to actually make it home. Um, so, yeah, it's the oldest oppression. If you listen to survivors, and that seems to be the big challenge in, in the state, we need to be listening to survivors and survivor groups and people who are helping these um, people leave the life, finally being able to get out, finding ways out, and then finding the resources to help them to, to survive. We're talking about... Women, men, children who are beaten, who are broken, who are, you know, we've, we've heard survivors talk about being stabbed, about being shot, about being raped, about being tortured. We know that they're branded. We know that they're, you know, tattooed with maybe their pimp's name or something. I, I don't see anything except oppression in that. Maggie, is there a, 
a stigma associated with that? For instance, you mentioned, you know, survivors groups out there. And, and, you know, my thought would be that a lot of these people that have been through this, survived and have left it, would rather leave it behind. They don't want anybody to know about it. So is it difficult to get people to come forward and talk about well, it? Well, that is one statement I want to make up front. And then if you would please remind me to make it again at the end, because I think the most important thing I'm going to say is this statement right here. Um, This is a very difficult topic for many to hear about. It's not our intent to leave anyone without help or support. If you are currently being victimized by trafficking or prostitution in Vermont and you need help and resources to get out, please contact me at niece, that's N-E-A-S-E, dot Vermont at gmail.com, or I'm even going to put out my cell phone because this is really um, a topic for my heart. You can also call me on my personal cell at 802-793-4491. If you're in a situation where you need immediate assistance, I'm going to ask you to please call the 24-hour National Human Trafficking Hotline. That number is 1-888-373-7888. And if you've been traumatized by these experiences in the past and you need support or resources, please reach out. You are not alone. Let's bring Michael Shively in uh, at this point, Maggie. Michael is also a member of NICE. Uh, Michael, we're talking about uh, um, human trafficking, violence, abuse, exploitation. And, you know, some people may be listening this afternoon and going, well, you know, they do it in Nevada. It's legal there. Prostitution is legal. It's legalized. It's regulated. So why can't this work in Vermont? Well, for one thing, uh, that isn't what's really being proposed in Vermont. So uh, there is an argument to be made for, uh, and you hear this frequently, which is sex work is work. You know, And the reason it's so dangerous and so terrible is that it's been driven into the shadows by criminalization. So if we could treat it like any other form of work, then it would probably be safer since we apparently can't get rid of it. So that, that's the argument that's being made by the proponents of decriminalization, except that isn't what they're doing at all. Uh, because what, as soon as you talk about, well, if you want to treat it like any other work, well, it needs to be taxed, needs to be regulated. If you want to, you know, open a nail salon or a, a garage, you know, there are regulations to yeah. uphold. Yeah, you need they a license too. Those. You need a license. You can't, you yeah, can't. They, you... And, and well, can absolutely. I? Absolutely. Yeah, you have to get licensed. For almost any kind of a business, you know, if you want, you know, restaurants have health inspections as, you know, any industry is regulated. And but what we have is a is an illegal industry which wants the best of all worlds for them, which is they don't want to pay taxes. They don't want any regulation of any kind. And they just want to be able to do whatever they want, however they want, regardless of any consequences, because that's what maximizes profit. So. Um, you know, in a sense, it's kind of understandable what, what you know, if you ask the, the coal industry or the oil industry, what would you think about a complete absence of any accountability? You'll never be taxed. You'll never be regulated. You can hire, fire, do anything you want, anywhere you yeah. want without any safety restrictions or anything. Would you take it? Well, the industry leaders would probably say yes. And that's what we have here. Let's uh, let's throw this out to our listeners here at uh, Travels with Charlie. Uh, Michael and Maggie uh, with me this afternoon. Maggie Karen and Michael Shively of Nice, the uh, national, uh, the New England Association. New Englanders Against Sexual Exploitation. <laughs> See, I'm not yes. good with those. <laughs> That's okay. That's where we are. Yes. Two four four seventeen seventy seven one eight seven seven two nine one eight two five five. And I throw it out to the listeners this afternoon. As, as you're listening to this, this is something that's happening in the House right now in Mont. Peelier. Uh, this is being debated. What are your thoughts on it? Do you think that this is the direction that Vermont should be going in? And Michael and Maggie, I'll go back to you again. You know, taking the, the illegal illegality out of this would increase the demand. And in, in other words, and I'm sure you'll both agree with me, like, for instance, if we take the, the illegality out of it, that that more people will say, well, you know, it's it's not illegal. So perhaps, you, you know, why not? Why not do it? So then that increases the need for workers. And then does that not fall right into the whole? Well, 
human trafficking. Michael? Well, that's exactly what happens. Uh, Most people don't want to do this, and even the people who say that they are quote-unquote sex workers and uh, you know, they're doing it simply as a way to get by because they have no other options. Uh, once you hear their whole story, almost all of them are not truly choosing it. They're either being forced outright or they're, they're being, you know, with threats against their health or their children, or they're being coerced into it. Or even the better case scenarios are people who are in desperate circumstances and they see it as the only thing they can do to survive. Very, very few people actually uh, choose this outright. And what happens is when the markets expand, whenever the restrictions are eliminated or or lessened or even just maybe the law stays the same, but the police or prosecutors decide they're just going to let it go and not prosecute it, it, it always ends up the same way. And it's extremely consistent over time and throughout the world. The market explodes. And you get more of it, and you get more problems and collateral crimes uh, that surround it. So it, it never works out in improving safety, which is what you're being told by the proponents of decriminalization. Maggie, you want to go a little further on that? Yeah, I actually just want to read a little script. If you, if you're, you know, Google's your friend, so you can find this. It's called Nevada is not safe for women. So Charlie and I talked earlier, and I told him that I lived in Nevada for five years. So I want to, if I can take the sure. time to just read a little bit of the script from that uh, two-minute video. Um, in it, and the lead uh, person speaking in it is Rebecca Charleston. This is talking about what's happening and what has happened in Nevada. Forty-eight years ago, prostitution was legalized in Nevada. It was a social experiment. That experiment has failed. Women and children have paid the price. Nevada has 63% higher rates of an illegal sex trade than any other state in the country. Nevada ranks in the top 10 for trafficked and exploited youth. Less than 10%, and we need to come back from, to this, less than 10% of the prostitution in Nevada is legal. That means the other 90% is not. Women in legal brothels, in legal brothels are often victims. Inequality, poverty, and abuse drive women into prostitution. In order to abolish tr- sex trafficking, we must eliminate the demand for prostitution. To put it candidly, we must stop any system that condones buying human beings for sex. It's an injustice against our sisters, our friends, our neighbors, and our daughters. It's time to end prostitution and trafficking in Nevada. Um, and then she goes on to say, I, was, I, too, was trafficked in illegal brothels in Nevada. So you have to understand that. You can actually be trafficked into the legal brothels. Legal broth- prostitution has brought horrific illegal byproducts for the last 48 years. It has to stop now. Until it does, Nevada is not safe for women. And the other thing I wanted to say about Nevada is that this same woman, I believe, is the woman who's brought or is is bringing or has brought lawsuits against the state of Nevada for allowing this to happen to to women to be victimized in the system of legalized prostitution. And again, we just said 90% of the prostitution that happens in Nevada is happening illegally. So it's not monitored. It's not licensed. It's not regulated. It's not safe. Michael, let me ask you, and maybe you have a little bit of uh, insight into this, and I just found this out uh, just the other day doing some research and and looking into other areas where uh, prostitution is legal. And I found out that prostitution at one time was legal in Rhode Island, in fact, for almost about 30 years. And they they banished it in 2009. They stopped it. Uh, Do you have any insight into when that came about and why that stopped? What were some of their reasons, Michael? Well, you you can get conflicting stories about why that uh, change in the law happened in the first place. It happened in 1980. So there was legislation in 1980. And uh, uh, one version is that it was simply a mistake. It was kind of this loophole that was unintentional. But it basically said that, you know, the... um, the solicitation, open advertising for it, that is illegal, but the actual exchange of money for sex, as long as it's indoors and it's not solicited out in the open or on the streets, that that wasn't uh, actually uh, criminalized. So 
uh, it may have been an accident. There's some other people who believe that it was actually intentional as a way to uh, decriminalize prostitution. But one way or another, we do know that it occurred in 1980. And we uh, know that in 2009 that that loophole in the law, if you want to call it that, was closed. So we there was this 29-year uh, period. It took them a long time. It, it was technically. Yeah, it was. Did, did, the, did the business was, thrive at all, Michael, during that uh, that 29 years? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there, there are all kinds of uh, studies about what happened. Some of the descriptive studies just talk about the quadrupling of the – for some reason in that state, uh, it mostly was in the uh, massage spa types of – Industries. They were the storefronts that served as brothels. And for the most part, it was Asian women that were uh, being sold for sex in those brothels. So there was a, a great increase in the occurrence of prostitution. It became known throughout the region as the place to go. You know, the pimps knew it. Uh, and the, uh, you know, anyone that was desperate that thought that's where they needed to go in order to make a living in that way. Yeah. And Michael, many of these, the many of the Asian women that come here, my understanding is that typically that they are trafficked here. They are, they come from, from these parts uh, of, of, of Asia, uh, and they have to work off their, their, whatever it was, you know, to get them in here, correct? Yeah, that's correct. And that's, you know, we can go back 50 years and we can go back just uh, currently. Um, in fact, just in, in June of last year, there was uh, a woman pled guilty for being part of a couple that trafficked 27 women from China into New Hampshire. They, um, they were based in Manchester uh, and Concord, and they rotated the women to either motels that they rented or to apartments that they rented, you know, in Portland, Oregon, and throughout, you know, Vermont and Massachusetts. So, you know, it, you know, this has gone on for a long time, but what happened in Rhode Island, uh, there was a study that claims that there were benefits and there, and the, the pro sex work advocates, uh, will often cite this study. They're citing it, um, they were just citing it in New Hampshire yesterday. They were citing it in uh, Vermont um, for months in all of these proposals. And they, they claim that um, sexually transmitted diseases declined and sexual assaults declined during this period. Well, it sounds good for their side unless you actually read the study and you understand what really happened. So what we had is a 29-year period of decriminalization, but this study was based on six years. And it was just 2003 to 2009. And as luck would have it, uh, the year that they chose as the start of this period was a, an extraordinary year. It had 40% um, more sexual assaults than any other year. Hmm. So they picked this super high point, and then they picked this point six years later, and they said, well, geez, all these horrible indicators went down. Yeah, well, they, you know, the, what at all with that. Yeah, just kind of fudging the numbers to, to make it look uh, good for them. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yep. Mag Maggie Karen and Michael Shively with me this afternoon on Travels with Charlie, New Englanders Against Sexual Exploitation, Nice. Uh, and we'll throw it out once again if you have a comment, uh, 244-1777 or 1-877-291-8255. Is this the right direction for Vermont to be going in legalizing prostitution? I mean, these are things that you should be talking with your legislators about. This is what uh, what's on their mind right now, uh, and even in Burlington, uh, you know, coming up as a as a charter change on on the ballot uh, in March. And my understanding is that uh, that Burlington no longer enforces prostitution laws anyway. This is what they say: the police department does not enforce prostitution laws. Maggie? That is what we're hearing, and actually the, the meeting tonight will be the second um, public hearing. They had one last Tuesday, and they'll have another one. It's basically the formality before they put the language to repeal basically anything pertaining to prostitution laws um, from their ordinances. And we have been told um, through different sources that the police have basically been told to disregard that as far as they're concerned, you know, don't, don't spend time and resources 
on that. But, but it's not really about the prostitution. I mean, it's about the exploitation of humans. Is it not? I mean, that's what it's it about. Is, absolutely. And you know what's um, really difficult for me to to understand how they reasoned is they continue to say we're going to decriminalize prostitution, but we're going we're going to maintain the illegality of trafficking. And, and the truth and reality is that those actually become one. I mean, you can be trafficked. You can be trafficked like brought from another state and forced into prostitution and kept into prostitution. And at some point in your life, because this happens to women or men or children for years, and after a while, it's like, okay, I'm in it. And, and now I'm prostituting. I'm being prostituted. This is prostitution. But it was, it became, it came in from a trafficking venue. Correct. Or sometimes it, and most often, I think if you listen to the studies and the people, most of what you're going to hear is an average of even as upwards as 89% of the women currently working in prostitution, men or women or children, would want to get out, but they don't have the resources or the means to do it. So this isn't something people are raising their hand and say, pick me, pick me, this is what I want to do. I want to be a prostitute. You know, Maggie, you just touched on something, and I sometimes I think people don't think about that. You mentioned children, you know, this trafficking. Uh, and when you get them young, and, and you've got them for a long time, and they're being sold. They are being sold. You know, the numbers I hear um, just in the research that I've done and the things that I've heard over the last several years is between 10 and 40 times a day. You know, and I hear even in the brothels in Nevada where it's legal in the brothels, you know, there's a bell that rings. And it doesn't matter what you've been doing with your day or how many times. You need to show up for that bell. And if you're called, you're you're going to do it again. It's not the option. This is your this is what you're there for. Michael, if you have any insight into city council there. Say that they are arguing over archaic and sexist language. Can you explain that? I'm not putting. I know that's not your your take on this, but uh, you know when I look at this, I just kind of shake my head. It's like, man, we got more important things to be arguing over than archaic and sexist language. Yeah, that, that's that's what they're saying, but it's really not what they're doing. Uh, uh, the proponents in the on the city council and. Uh, the ones that are working with them to push this forward. This is part of a global and then a national push to try to decriminalize prostitution. Uh, the big national organization is called Decriminalized Sex Work, or DSW, and uh, it's part of their strategy. You know, Vermont has been targeted. It's just a point on a map, and the, the, it's seen as low-hanging fruit or an opportunity to decriminalize prostitution. The real objective is to change the state law and to eliminate all barriers to prostitution, to just fully decriminalize it. They argue against legalization or setting up a system to treat it as work. They just simply want to have the law completely ignore it and let it go on its own. So, Michael, what, what is what's going on at the city? No, go ahead. Finish. Uh, what, what's going on at the city council is they're targeting ordinances. So the city council's... Uh, you know, almost all cities in the United States, they have local ordinances. So there's a state law against prostitution, but a local ordinance can say, well, you can't do, you know, we're going to increase penalties if it's near a church or school. Or if there's a nuisance property, it allows us to condemn the property, and prostitution is on the list of things that become a nuisance. So there are all kinds of ways that local governments uh, add uh, local prohibitions and re restrictions on things like prostitution. And they want to eliminate them. So step one was eliminating the local ordinances. So the city council in Vermont, they abolished them last October. Yep. What the charter does is authorize the city to create restrictions on prostitution. So currently the charter still has language that allows them to develop restrictions on prostitution if they see fit. The language, the language is kind of weird and archaic looking. But if that was really their concern, they could just modernize and update it. They, they wouldn't have to call it a house of ill repute or something. They could sure. just make it yeah. more current. And, and, and of course, as we know, a charter change has to be approved by the – has to be you know, voted through in the legislature. Let, let me ask both of you before we wrap up here. What is Nice doing in terms of you know, talking to legislators? Are you going to the state house? Are you trying to get to your 
your voice heard here. Maggie, you want to go first? Yeah, sure. So the latest and greatest out of the State House last week was um, Bill H630. And I want to find it because I want to read to you who's um, sponsoring it. Yeah, I think that's very important because people should know who is sponsoring this bill. Michael, are you at a computer where you can pull that up? I thought I had it. Um, No, you can, you know, the numbers, you can just talk about Yeah, go ahead and Google it because, actually, I do think I have it here. Well, people should, uh, you know, if you are concerned about this, this is something that you should let your legislator know. Whether they, uh, you know, approve it or whether they are for it or against it, let them know. Let them know that you do not want legalized prostitution in the state of Vermont. Let them know. But you've got that list, Maggie, going I do have the list. So it's if you go to the Vermont General Assembly website, it's actually pretty easy. You'll see a little line up the top where you can type in H630. That's House Bill 630. It's entitled An Act Relating to Voluntary Engagement in Sex Work. And there's a nice lengthy list. Every time these bills come out, the the list gets longer. This means more of your representatives are willing to put their name on in support of it. So Representative Celine Colburn, and I apologize if I get anybody's name mispronounced, Representative Emily Kornheiser, Representative Tiffany, her last name is B-L-U-E-M-I-E, Representative Brian Sheena, Representative Catherine Donnelly, Representative John Kalaki, Representative Emma Mulvaney-Stenick, Representative William Knott, Representative Barbara Rachelson, Representative Taylor Small, Representative Heather Supernot, Representative Tanya, her last name is V-Y-H-O-V-S-K-Y, and Representative Rebecca White. So that's a a lengthy list, longer than any of the other bills that have come out to support decriminalizing prostitution. So if any of those uh, members are your representative and you would like to... Voice your opinion. Give them a call. They all have websites. They all have phone numbers, uh, email addresses. You can uh, you can let them know that you do not support prostitution in Vermont. I want to thank my guest this afternoon for joining me. I know it's a uh, it's a very important uh, conversation to have. And if you would like to know more information about New Englanders Against Sexual Exploitation, otherwise known as NICE. There's a website, Maggie, that they can go to. You want to give us that website? Yes, it is NEASE, and again, that's N-E-A-S-E dot Vermont at gmail.com. You can call my cell if you if you need some resources or support at 802-793-4491. If you need immediate assistance, there's a 24-hour national human trafficking hotline at one 373 Seven eight eight eight, and are those numbers that you'll be able to make available? We can do that. Yeah. Maggie, Karen, and Michael Shively, thank you both for joining me this afternoon on Travels with Charlie. Up next, the Casella Waste Sustainability Spotlight with Jeff Well. The waste and resource management industry is a complex, integrated system that many people and communities take for granted. Trash, recycling, compost, we're all familiar with the terms, but maybe not the truths behind the waste industry. Want to learn more? Beyond the Bin is a podcast by Casella, which shines a light on what really happens to our waste and recycling. If you're interested in environmental sustainability and renewable resources, then check out this podcast. You'll learn about waste and recycling, meet members of the Casella team, and one episode even deals with beekeeping. Check it out online at www.casella.com forward slash beyond the bin. Welcome back to Travels with Charlie, your host, Charlie Papillo. Thanks for joining me this afternoon. It's time for the Casella Waste Sustainability Spotlight. Now, you're hearing a little meatloaf music in the background today. We're going to be talking with Rusty Deweese uh, towards the end of the program today. Rusty, who is a friend and mentor of uh, Meatloaf, will be joining me in studio here as we have that discussion. But it's time to bring in Jeff Weld, the Director of Community Engagement with Casella Waste for the Casella Waste Sustainability Spotlight. Jeff? Good afternoon. Thanks for joining me here on Travels with Charlie. Hey, Charlie. Thanks for having me on. So a new video out on the website, and I want to let uh, people know about that, casella.com forward slash recycle better. You can check this out, and you can see what goes on with recycling. Let's talk about that because there's a lot of misinformation. I know a lot of people out there think that you, you put your recycle in the bin, and it simply just gets it gets thrown away somewhere, but... 
Man, that's a pretty amazing story, Jeff, where individually all of these recyclables go, like plastics, metals, paper, all individually go somewhere. Yeah, I, I think it's uh, pretty remarkable. Um, you know, we've been recycling here at Casella for 45 years. Uh, John and Doug, the first recycling facility back in 1977. So, um, and still, there's a lot of a lot of misunderstanding, a lot of misinformation, and and one of the goals of this video and and our Recycle Better website is to sort of educate the public on, you know, that they should be confident in the materials that they're putting in to their recycling bins are are being put to a higher and better use, and you know that's sort of what the education campaign is all about, and and um, what we're trying to achieve. Boy, and if you wonder how it's done, you know, you, you see it on the on the website, and I'm not sure which one of your facilities is there on the website, Jeff, but, the, you know, all of this stuff coming down a conveyor belt, and you've got individuals that are just picking things off and throwing them into certain bins. Like if you've got a piece of paper, it goes over here, cardboard here, glass here, metal over here. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty remarkable uh, combination of technology and, and you know, good old-fashioned hard work from the frontline people that are, that are there helping to sort all, all day, every day. And, um, you know, one of the things that we really try to achieve is a level of safety for those people that are doing it. Um, Cause it can get dangerous if you put the wrong things in those and start putting batteries and tanglers and things like that for those machines. And, you know, it, it puts people in harm's way in our facilities. So, yeah. And that's uh, one of the things that we, we, Jeff, that's one of the things that we've learned too, is about, uh, you know, people think, you know, electrical cords and things like that. Well, you must recycle it. Boy, you just, you don't want to keep anything like string or anything like that going to a recycle bin, correct? Right. Absolutely right. I mean, we want to recycle as much as possible, um, but we also want to be uh, smart about what we're putting in those bins. And, and we have a saying around here, when in doubt, throw it out. And that's, a, that's as much to keep our people safe as it is to make sure that the recyclable material doesn't get contaminated. Now, now, something that many people may not understand, Jeff Weld with the uh, Sustainability Spotlight, Casella Waste Sustainability Spotlight, is that you actually, you're selling this stuff, uh, and it's all, 100% of it is sold, and then it's reused, you know, so, so, you know, cans that you throw out today, maybe you can again, you know, down the road, or it may end up in a car part, or, or cardboard may end up in a pizza box somewhere. Yeah, it's it's really fascinating. The easiest one to think about is aluminum can to aluminum can, right? That that's a very recyclable, high high grade commodity. Um, but you know, ones that you don't think so much about, like plastics getting made into car parts and dashboards, and your bumper might actually be um, once was a, a plastic uh, tub that you yeah. you put in the recycle bin. So a lot of a lot of interesting. Uh, second use and second uh, life uh, for those recyclable materials. Even clothing and rugs. You know, sometimes people don't yeah. think about that. Yeah, plastic, uh, a lot of plastic PET bottles um, gets made right back into fleece, uh, wearable garments, yeah. things like that. So. All right, so very important. Make sure that you don't put things that don't belong in that recycled bin. And as as Jeff says, if it went in doubt, just throw it out, throw it in the trash. That's the easiest way to do it. But if you'd like more information, check out casella.com forward slash recycle better. Jeff Weld, Director of Community Engagement with Casella Waste on the Sustainability Spotlight. Jeff, have a great day. Thanks for joining me here on Travels with Charlie. Yeah, you too, Charlie. Thanks for having me. All right. Up next, are your travel plans on hold? Well, we're going to talk with Scott Milne from Milne Travel American Express next right here on WDEV. When I'm on my travels throughout Vermont, I know where to stop for a fill-up, fresh-made sandwiches, snacks, hot coffee, or an ice-cold Coca-Cola. Jolly convenience stores. With over 40 in our area, there's always one nearby. And they're more than a quick stop. Proudly supporting local charities, community events, and our military. Jolly convenience stores. Home of the daily smile. Even behind that mask. Stop by today. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to Travels with Charlie. Your host, Charlie Papillo. All meatloaf music today on Travels with Charlie. Yeah, I know better than to step on the vocal. <laughs> 
So welcome back. Uh, Rusty DeWeese is going to be joining us here in just a moment. We're going to be talking more about uh, rock legend passing uh, this weekend, Meatloaf. But first, let's check in with Scott Milne from Milne Travel American Express. Here we are two years later, Scott. COVID issues still dogging us. What do we need to know about uh, flying and traveling? Good, good afternoon. Welcome to Travels with Charlie. Oh, it's great to be with you. And, you know, um, well, before we get to uh, business, I just want to thank you, Charlie. You know, when I think about uh, all the uh, opportunities I've had to uh, speak to the public and uh, do things in my life, uh, today is going to go down in history. You know, you've sandwiched me between the uh, prostitution people and Rusty Deweese. I mean, it, it is a memorable day in my life. And, uh, you know, it's sort of like... Uh, you know, it's like being the backup band to the Rolling Stones with Rusty coming on next, and uh, <laughs> and then uh, you know the uh, the uh, uh, you know, not to uh, get get off track of what we're talking about, but you know ethicists. You know, one of one of the interesting things of ethicists, and I'm I, you know I don't want to get into the politics of, of your previous guest, but mm-hmm. you know just traveling around the world. You know, uh, Ephesus, which to me is one of the favorite places I've been. Ephesus is, you know, one of the uh, uh, seven great cities of uh, antiquity and just a beautiful place that's, you know, sort of, uh, you know, uh, been recovered from uh, being covered up by uh, time and everything. But when you get to Ephesus and just see these ports and the way the sailors came in and, you know, the big trading hub of, you know, ancient uh, times, uh, just just fascinating place. And, you know, their prostitution questions and issues and how they handled in society back there, which is an interesting part of doing an Ephesus tour. So sure. if, you, uh, if, you're, if you're out traveling, and there's a lot of people out traveling right now in spite of COVID, uh, Ephesus is a great place to uh, look at. And, uh, you know, a lot of these questions that we're talking about on your show today have been with us for thousands of years. Yeah. Right? So, so Scott, you learn a lot from history and yeah, one of the good things about traveling. People are traveling, but of course, you know, during the, uh, the Christmas uh, season, we heard about a lot of flight cancellations higher than ever. And it wasn't because of weather. Some of it was, but not uh, all weather. Some of it uh, because of pilot and crew shortages. As we know, many of them were furloughed and it's not as easy to bring somebody back. Am I correct? After you've been furloughed? Yeah, and I, I, I think we're, you know, we're seeing the same thing in airlines and other parts of the uh, uh, tourism industry uh, that we're seeing every, everywhere, right? I mean, uh, you know, the Walgreens, uh, we're open 24 hours now, we're open 9 to 6, I've, I've seen around uh, our area and things like that. But I think, you know, the bigger question to me is if you, if you, you know, government regulation is more prominent in Europe and there's uh, pluses and minuses to that. But one uh, good thing I think that Europe has uh, successful, successfully implemented is essentially a passenger bill of rights. Uh, and, uh, you know, Congress, like everything, Congress in, uh, in the U.S. has been unable to get their act together and pass anything. So I think it's something that we should take a serious look at as a passenger bill of rights. You know, airlines are taking $40 billion worth of taxpayer money to survive COVID, uh, whacking people left and right so they can make money while they're doing it. And then when things are recovering, they're canceling flights and leaving people stranded. And they can't answer, you know, there's four-hour hold times to try to get, not only does your flight get canceled and you need to figure out what to do, but if you bought your ticket directly from the airline, there's four-hour hold times to talk to somebody to fix that for you. Yeah. You know, in Europe, you'd be getting 600 bucks and they'd be putting you on a new flight, at least for the inconvenience. Here, you get the opportunity to get your money back and buy a new, t- a new ticket, often for three times the price. So, it's, it's not a fair way to run things if, if they're going to take the $40 billion in taxpayer money when they need it and then just sort of tell you you're on your own when they can't handle the problems they created. So it's something big, and it's something that I hope uh, government takes a look at, Charlie. Scott Milne with uh, Milne Travel American Express. We're talking uh, about uh, traveling right now, of course. Uh, in the Bill of Rights, you bring that up, Scott. Man, that's been a, you're absolutely right. That I've, I've heard that talked about for the last 10 years and still nothing done. I'll, I'll let you use that as a springboard. Is, is Scott Milne, uh, are there any political aspirations, Scott? You know, there's some open seats out there. we got a lot of movement. Pat Leahy's not going to run. Peter Welch is moving up. Uh, you know, there might even be, you know, a run for the lieutenant governor. Any, anything on the horizon for Scott Milne? Uh, uh, hopefully uh, helping uh, people successfully navigate uh, travel aspirations and uh, <laughs> making their travel dreams come, tr- come true. And uh, talking with people like you to promote that right now, it's, if anything changes, Charlie, I will put you on the A list of uh, of letting you know. But I do, uh, you know, uh, a lot of 
a lot of your Radio Vermont listeners uh, remember my mom, Marion Milne, who, uh, you know, had a uh, started working, in, grew up in a really poor family, started working in a travel agency when she was 16, um, you know, was a social worker for a while. Served in our legislature. Yeah, I got a college degree when she was 40, built Milne Travel from a one-person, woman-owned business into a, you know, successful, small Vermont company, but... Uh, then when she was 60, ran for the legislature. And, you know, I think Howard Dean's quoted as saying, you know, based uh, on my mom's legislative accomplishments, I think Howard Dean's got this great quote of, uh, you know, if somebody writes a book about the 100 most valuable Vermonters or something like that, there should be a chapter on Marion Millman. And that was all based on her belief that uh, one person can make a difference. Very nice. And, Scott, uh, you know, it's something that I'm happy to have inherited. And whether we're helping you plan a vacation or we're trying to pick people to uh, – step up and be political leaders. I think uh, you know, one person can make a difference, and it's a, it's a great part about America. It's a really great part about Vermont that it's a small state, and you can actually have an opportunity to get elected to some of those offices without having to be beholden to a whole bunch of rich people. Scott, what's the latest on cruise ships? Is it a good time to book, or should we wait? Well, it's interesting. You know, the CDC came out and recommended uh, that people don't cruise. But, you know, there, again, like everything, there's, <laughs> it's a almost more of a political argument than it's a medical <clears throat> argument, it seems like. But the cruise industry, which got a lot of money and resources, came out with a counter argument, which is fact-based and says, you know, if you are on a cruise ship for the last two months, it was safer than living in any state in America regarding COVID infection. So, wow. you know, uh, I think uh, what we do is help people do what they want to do. If you if you bought something and you change your mind, we can help you, and it doesn't take four hours to get a hold of us on the phone. If you want to think through the pluses and minuses of buying things, uh, we can help you do that. The bottom line, Charlie, is if you do want to travel, the deals are really good right now. You know, the, the industry is hurting its supply and demand, so uh, supply is uh, much greater than demand right now. So there are some uh, really good deals. If you do want to cruise, uh, it's a good time to do it. Uh, there's an awful lot of um, full ships as you get as you get into September, October, and into 2023. The ships are really full because there's so much, um, you know, pent up demand from folks that haven't really been able to go or have decided not to go over the last couple of years. So I think what we're going to see is a big boomerang once we sort of get yeah. through things. Which you know I've been wrong for two years about how long it's going to take to get through things, but essentially we're going to get through these things, and then prices are going to be really um, up. And, All right. Uh, availability is going to be really down, so it's a good time to plan if you want to plan ahead. Or Now's a good time to start thinking about it. you got spring break coming up. Scott Milne, Milne Travel American Express, com. Phone number two, Scott, if people want to find out more information today. Sure. Uh, easy one for you to remember. Hopefully 800-78-MILNE, which is 784563. Uh, good enough. One quick thing, uh, Charlie, if I could just do a plug. We've got a, a monthly magazine, uh, electronic format now, so it's, you know, uh, easy for us to send out without spending a lot of money, uh, very informative. Uh, we've got an internal uh, informational webinar with our entire staff, with uh, CDC people, uh, travel insurance, medical directors, and some other people from the cruise industry. To your question earlier about what's going on with the cruise industry, what do we tell clients, what's the truth, what's not the truth, uh, that's not going to be an open-to-the-public webinar, although we do have many that are. But if you shoot an email to help, at gnometravel.com or call your gnome travel advisor. If you're already a client, you'll get the magazine anyway. In February, we're going to have a complete link to that recording, which is really just going to be a comprehensive overview of cruising uh, and what to think about and how to do things if you're going to be cruising in this COVID era. All right. More information, just to email help at milmtravel.com. Safe travel, Scott. Thanks for joining us on Travels with Charlie. Thanks for the opportunity. Have a good uh, afternoon. All right. Coming up next, Rusty DeWeese on the passing of rock and roll legend Meatloaf right here on WDEV. Planning a business trip or have a global company looking for a strong Vermont-based company to align with for business and meeting management, Milne Travel is a trusted local partner, and they've been one since 1975. Milne Travel is one of the top travel companies based in New England. Featuring educational tours, vacation travel, or corporate solutions, let their travel specialists search the lowest airfares exclusive to the travel industry for you guaranteed. We're all getting ready to travel again. Save time and money on your next trip. Go to www.millentravel.com Welcome back to Travels with Charlie. 
one of the great songs, Meatloaf, joining me in studio this afternoon on Travels with Charlie, Rusty DeWeese. And I can imagine people are going, well, what's Rusty got to do with Meatloaf? And I've known you a long time, and I've known that you're an actor. You've been in movies. You've been in TV shows and commercials. I didn't know that you were in Black Dog with Meatloaf. Rusty, good afternoon. Thank you for coming in. Thanks for having me, Charlie. Yeah, I didn't know that you didn't know. I mean, I did a lot of movies there when I was in my 30s and L.A. And, and New York. But anyway, I got in this show, Black Dog with Patrick Swayze. Randy Travis was also in there. And Meatloaf. And I played Meatloaf's right-hand man in there. I was a bad guy, a henchman. So got to know him really well. Yeah. Didn't uh, work out good for the bad guy, though, did it? Uh, I, we don't want to spoil the ending, but uh, what happens to Rusty? I do blow up. <laughs> oh, nice. I blow up. But I'm in this, – this was – for me, this was the biggest film I had been in. To the at the point is like a fifty million dollar. Uh, I call it a B plus movie, not a B movie, a B plus movie or an A minus movie. It wasn't it wasn't the iconic movie of Roadhouse with Patrick Swayze, yeah. but it's watched a ton. It's a truck driving movie, sort of remind you of this nineteen seventies kind of convoyish truck, uh, Hal Needham-y type yeah. productions of Smoking the Bandit, that type of movie. Well, let's talk about Meatloaf because, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, you're three months on the set with Meatloaf, and you're his right hand man, and uh, what happened when the the cameras weren't rolling? In fact, you sort of credit him for some of the logger, do you not? Literally, I was 38 years old at the time. I had started a little bit of this logger character up in Vermont. I was living in in, in Manhattan, and Ken was helping me produce. Um, Ken Squire. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, produced the first logger show, which was a two-act play, basically. And I was on the set in Atlanta, Georgia, and then Helen, Georgia, which is northern Georgia, a lot like around here, rural, mountainous. And I was writing the second act to the play. And then, you know, me and I were together for three months. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we got to talking one day, and he said, what, what are you doing? You know, he had the cigar going. Yeah. He had a big personality. Yeah. A very, very nice guy. Large personality. He liked being meatloaf, you know. And... uh I told him I was thinking about doing this play, and this is what it's like in Vermont, Vermonter. I don't really know what I'd like to get it out there. Well, what you got to do is you got to go to a club, you know. And you know anybody who owns a club there? I say one of my friends, Bobby Roberts, the rusty now. Yeah. You go to him and you say you want a certain amount of money, and then you charge tickets and you want a certain amount of those tickets. <laughs> and that's just some of the stuff that he, that he taught me about. And that. it's the formula; it's work. That's right. <laughs> Literally. So it sounds like yeah. nothing now, but I mean, he was also inspirational. Charlie, because he he liked a lot of these acting people that you get to act with, the famous people. Yeah, you get you got to find out if they want to talk about their life and their acting, or if they don't want to be bothered. He loved it, so he told me the, the early stories of him making it in the like you would about your radio career, making it in show business. And I was just doing movies and TV and stuff then, so it was very inspirational to hear that he's just some regular guy and he became. Meatloaf. So that was also, uh, I learned a lot from him there. And everybody called him Meat. He liked being called Meat. <laughs> and it's not Meatloaf one word, it's Meat Loaf, two meat. words. That's yeah. what he wanted. Yeah. The story goes, I think you could hear quite a few stories, but the story goes uh, his uh, high school coach or something stepped yeah. on his foot one time and said, Yeah, it feels like Meatloaf. <laughs> and then the kids were calling him, Hey, Meatloaf, Meatloaf in the gym, and it stuck. Yeah. And it stuck and certainly made a, a huge career out of it. Uh, did, did he consider himself a a singer or an actor? Because when you think of Meatloaf and you see if you've I've never seen him in concert, I've seen many of his videos, they're theatrical. Uh, right, and right. and you met him as an actor. Right. He he was a great performer and entertainer, as you're alluding to, but uh, that's a good question because I would say he'd rather – what the heck do I know? Uh, lest anyone think he and I were fast friends. Yeah. At the end of a movie, you go your own separate way. I think that he, he started out as an actor. You know, he was in Hair on Broadway. Right. And he was in Rocky Horror Picture yeah. Show on Broadway, and then they made a movie out of it. And from there, the record thing came. Yeah. He – Loved the acting, and he loved that he was doing these movies. He's been, you know, in the movie with Brad Pitt and a lot of movies. So people are always like, he did movies? I think he would like to say that he was a movie actor. You know? Boy, and when you think of Paradise by the Dashboard Light, yeah. huge hit for him. I can remember my days as a, as a disc jockey oh, right. playing that at parties and, uh, you know, all kinds of events. And, you know, all the ladies would line up on one side of the dance floor, guys on the other side of the dance floor, and they'd mimic the entire song, yeah. and you'd get the whole room into a frenzy. And, I mean, that's exactly what he did when he was on stage. He yeah. was performing this. Yeah, and he had a bit of that 
when the camera stopped rolling around the set. He Patrick Swayze was more focused and you know a constant, but good guy too. Yeah. And Randy Travis, a sweet guy, but meat meatloaf. You knew he was meatloaf. He had a driver. Another quick. He had a driver as an older woman at that point. She was in her sixties. You know, I was thirty eight years old, and she. Uh, Meatloaf said to me, "You like you like country music." She, Miss Janie here used to go out with Merle Haggard, and he's coming to town, so she can get you to meet him. And I didn't believe it, but God darn it, she did. She you said, met him. Russ, come to <laughs> come to Atlanta. He's going to be outside Atlanta and after the after the concert. I, I I saw her at the side door. This is all true. Yeah. Side door, and she said, "Come on the bus." And I got on the bus, Charlie, not Merle's, another bus with Bonnie Owen in there, a backup singer, and Fuzzy Owen. Bonnie Owen was married to Buck Owens. She was married to Merle Haggard. <laughs> at the point I met her, she was married to Fuzzy Owen, who produced Buck Owens oh my God. and Merle Haggard. So I'm sitting in there again, wanting to do this logger thing, yeah. talking to Fuzzy Owen, a huge country iconic uh, producer. So Meatloaf got me to meet them, too. And I did meet Merle uh, at, at the end of the evening. And that made it for you, right, meeting Merle? Just a 25-second yeah. shaking, yeah. shaking his hand. He came down on the bus steps, the other bus, and yeah. You know, funny story uh, with uh, the passing of Meatloaf over the weekend. You hear a lot of people talking about him. He came to Burlington back uh, God, I think it was in the 70s or so, uh, did a concert. In fact, I was talking with uh, Steve Corm, uh, Cormier, mm-hmm. yep. uh, and at the radio station that he worked at, the, at that time, they had a charity baseball game. This is something that he did. Every town he went to, he had a charity baseball game, loved baseball, uh, he did. and he came here, and he just he whipped the other team. They had a great team. But it just speaks to him. You know, he was a big guy, but he had a big heart because he didn't have to do that, and he raised money for a charity. Well, he was, you know, he when I knew him, he was very much, uh, you know, he was meatloaf and all, and he played the bad guy in the movie, and I was in the worst guy. But he, well, you know, you were very aware that he talked a lot about his wife, and I guess he has a daughter at least, or maybe two daughters, and he lived in Connecticut. So he, he, he had the sort of the Charlie Papillo family life thing going on, and then he had the meatloaf, the singer, and then the actor. So he was a really sweet guy. We got to uh, wrap this up yeah. quickly, but I know you're doing some shows with uh, Patrick Ross. Yeah, I'll be in Bradford February 5th, folks, at the Bradford Academy, a 7:30 show. Call 802-793-1901, Rusty at the logger.com, or just show up February 5th, Saturday, at the Bradford Academy at All seven, right. and pay your twenty bucks. Thanks for joining me. I'll be right. back February 14th, Valentine's Day. All right, man. You <laughs> have a great day. Yep.